You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. portrait of Jesus, now we have a portrait of Pilate, a man of prestige, a man of power, but he had no principles. He vacillates back and forth, not being able to make a decision. He's a man pleaser. He's a weak-willed man, a true politician who wants to make everybody happy. He's a true politician. It's interesting, I read this somewhere, a true coward knows what is right, but does not do it. Pilate knew Jesus had done nothing wrong. Despite this, he gave into pleasing the will of the people. James 4.17 says, To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is a sin. And how often are we also guilty of this? Today in Pastor Dave's message, he will give insight onto Pilate's true heart and Jesus' humility. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 19 as he begins his message, Behold the man, behold the king. You are Gospel of John, chapter 19, verses 1 through 16. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing out him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law that according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid and went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and power to release you? Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement. But in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover, about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then they delivered him to them 
to be crucified, so they took Jesus and led him away. Jesus has faced now several mock trials before Annas and Caiaphas, the high priest at that time. And since they couldn't get what they wanted, which was Jesus' death, they sent him before the governor, Pontius Pilate. And according to Luke 23, there's an interim here that John doesn't record. When Pilate found out that Jesus was a Galilean, he sent him to King Herod. When Herod could find nothing wrong with Jesus, in other words, nothing that would lead him to crucify him, he sends them back to Pilate. So now Jesus has been tossed to and fro like a ball, a ping pong ball being bounced back and forth between Annas and Caiaphas and, and Pilate and Herod and now back to Pilate. It's when he was with the high priest that the abuse began. They began to smack him, mock him. That was just the beginning. Things were going to get a lot worse. Pilate wanted to release Jesus. He didn't find any fault with Jesus. And he says it three times in these scriptures. So he comes up with an idea to offer the crowd a prisoner exchange. We're going to celebrate Passover, but I'm going to give you one of those who is in prison with me. And you can make a choice. You have a choice between this murderer, Barabbas, or Jesus, who calls himself the king of the Jews. Last week, we did an in-depth study and as incredible as it may seem to us, the crowd chose Barabbas. The other gospel accounts tell us that the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees egged on the crowd and encouraged the crowd to, to shout out words. And, and they weren't thinking about justice. They weren't thinking about fair treatment. They wanted one thing and one thing only. Jesus' death. Barabbas has been released. The guilty for the innocent, the unjust for the just. And now Jesus is left standing before Pontius Pilate and an angry mob calling for his death. And what we have before us this morning is an incredible story, an incredible contrast, if you will, between good and evil. And on the one hand, you see Jesus in complete control of the situation, in complete submission to the Father, and in obedience going through this degradation and this horrible time. On the other hand, you have the governor, Pontius Pilate, vacillating here, vacillating there, not really knowing what he wants to do. He can't make up his mind. He's a crowd pleaser. He's a people pleaser. But yet, he knows there's something about this man that makes him innocent. Something inside him tells him, be careful of this guy. And he doesn't know what to do. He desires to do the right thing. But because he was a man pleaser, he eventually gives in to the crowd. He eventually acquiesces. There's another part of this story. You have an angry mob. Mob mentality. Crying out, crucify him, crucify him. They're swayed by their leaders. Wanting to go along with them. Wanting to push them. They don't want to buck the system. They don't want to come against the religious leaders. These guys could throw them out of the temple. They could throw them out of the synagogue. They didn't want to come against these guys. They didn't know what to do. Only a week before, most of these people were declaring Jesus as king. Throwing their clothes in front of him. Throwing their palm leaves in front of him. Declaring him king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But not today. These three come together and in an instant, one man decides the fate of the Son of God. It's very ironic when you think about it. 
that this one man, Pontius Pilate, decides the fate of the one who would die for him and the one who would eventually be his judge. One commentator put it this way, and I love what he says here. Quote, the greatest mistake in history, the greatest injustice ever done, the greatest crime ever committed, the greatest proof of mankind's innate wicked nature and a demonstration of mom mentality is what we have here in John 19, 1 through 16. But at the same time, and at the very same moment, we see God's sovereignty. We see God's grace and God's infinite mercy at acting here. You can take this horrific decision that Pilate's going to make, and it's going to be turned into the most stupendous, the most hopeful, the most life-giving series of events in the history of the universe. In fact, the Apostle Peter speaks of this event when he's giving his first sermon, if you will, on the day of Pentecost, when he addresses all the people gathered. In Acts 2, look at verse 20, verses 22 and 24. I'll read them to you. Peter is speaking. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. You have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. What's Peter saying here? Peter's saying is, this was God's divine plan for the redemption of mankind. The redemption of all the world was God's plan. So in these verses this morning, John paints for us some pretty interesting portraits, if you will. And the first portrait he paints for us is the portrait of Jesus. Now, this isn't a portrait we want to see. I'm not going to go into great details about this. You can read for yourself and assume for yourself what had happened. But I'm going to make some points here. Just look back at verses 1 to 6. Remember, Pilate has released Barabbas. And he thinks that if he has Jesus scourged, uh, scourged, that the Jews will have pity on them. So look at 1 through 6. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. Now Pilate did not scourge him. The soldiers scourged him. Pilate just gave the order. The soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. Then Pilate went out again and said to them, Behold, I'm bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold, the man. This is a picture we don't like to see. The scourge Jesus, crown of thorns on his head, being mocked, being smitten, which means he's being beaten. He comes before the people, the same people that he came to save, his own beloved people, and he's being completely rejected by them, and they're calling for his death. Scourging is a horrible, horrible method of punishment. They use a whip. It's not just a cat of nine tails. It is a whip with particles of bone and glass and metal tied onto the end. And every time they hit the body and pull it back, 
you can do the deduction what happens. Many doctors who have examined this whole scene said that Jesus should have died from the loss of blood inflicted by this thing. But scourging, believe it or not, according to Josephus, the great historian, served three purposes. It was always inflicted before crucifixion. They wanted to punish the prisoner, and they hoped to gain a confession, and they also wanted to make him so weak that he would die faster on the cross. And this is why they did that. Pontius Pilate had called Jesus king of the Jews. So the soldiers said, well, if he's a king, he needs a crown. So they took these thorns and they fashioned a crown and they forced it on his head, made him wear it. They put a purple robe on his shoulders, purple being the color of royalty. It was all done in mockery. They mocked him, hail, king of the Jews. Other gospels said they spat upon him. They pulled out his beard, pulled out his hair. They beat him to within an inch of his life, repeatedly, repeatedly. And the verbiage that is used here, it means they kept on coming at him, kept on beating him, kept on calling him names, kept on slapping him. Take a minute, if you will, in the gospel of Mark. It's recorded in Mark 15, verses 19 and 20. It records this. Then they struck him on the head with a reed and spat on him. And bowing the knee, they worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off him and put his own clothes on and let him out to crucify him. Matthew records this in Matthew 27, verses 27 to 31. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. Then they twisted a crown of thorns. They put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spat upon him, took a reed and struck him on the head. And they mocked him. They tore off the robe and put his own clothes on and led him away to be crucified. Just some of the things that you could imagine what went on here. During this most horrendous time in Jesus' life, Jesus was fulfilling scripture. He was fulfilling scripture. The scripture in 129.3 about the plower's back being ripped apart. The scripture in Isaiah 50 verse 6 that says, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out my beard and I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. And you know the scriptures in Isaiah 53, 5 through 7. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. The entire time this was going on. He didn't say a word. He never railed back against them. He never threatened them. He remained completely obedient to the Father. Completely submissive to the Father. What an example of patience during the midst of a trial. I get a hangnail and I start screaming and yelling and hard. What an incredible, incredible example of patience. And Here's the crazy thing, folks. All this was brought on in the name of religion. 
was all done in the name of religion. And I don't think probably there's nobody here that hasn't been hurt at one time or another in the name of religion. He never said a word. He never reviled. He never threatened. He committed himself to him, placing himself into their hands, in their life. But not really because he was truly placing himself into the hands of the one who held it. The one who judges righteously. You know, I thought about this. And I said, how can, how can I get this over to the congregation? How can they understand this? How can they understand this concept of what Jesus was going through? And how can, you know, for me to say he was an example, what does that mean? He's an example. What does that mean? The only scripture that came to mind, folks, Philippians 2, verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Next time you have some trouble at work and you want to come at somebody because of a wrongdoing at work, remember that. Remember that scripture. Next time somebody gives you a hard time, remember that scripture. Pilate wants the Jews to be satisfied with the scourging. He wants them to be satisfied with the scourging. He parades them out. He says, I'm bringing them out so that you know I don't find any fault in him. I find no fault. This is the second time he has said that. So he parades Jesus out in front of this giant crowd on the praetorium. And he says, behold the man. And there stands Jesus in all of his humanity. In all of his humanity, he's standing there. Blood pouring down his face. His face unrecognizable from the beatings that he has sustained. A crown of thorns on his head, puncturing into his head. His beard half pulled out and not, standing there in a robe. Pilate wanted the people to see him as he was, to see him and to look at him. And to think, haven't I punished him enough? Haven't I punished him enough? Think about it. Why did Jesus do that? Why did Jesus stand there and be humiliated? Why did he allow the soldiers to do those things for him? Why did he allow this to happen? Love. He did it because he loved. He loved the Father, and he loves the sinner. He loves me, and he loves you. Jesus suffered greatly that day, but it was for love, the love of the world, and the joy that was set before him that he suffered. I see the Son of God standing there before this crowd. This angry crowd is screaming all their might, crucify him, crucify him. They're screaming all these horrible things. The soldiers are mocking him. The soldiers are beating him and striking him. And I want, wow, what a contrast. Didn't we just talk about a week or so ago that at his birth, angels were gathered and sang to shepherds announcing his birth? Look at the contrast. At his birth, all the angels are singing. And at his death, there's nothing but mocking and beatings and scourgings and humility. Pilate, look at this guy. Look at this guy. Look at this poor guy. Hasn't he suffered enough? I told you, I find no fault in him. Pilate said if he's humiliated, he might save him. But it did exactly the opposite. Pilate's words and the sight of Jesus only brought about more wrath from the crowd as they screamed in the, even louder. Look at verse 6. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out saying, crucify him, crucify him. 
Pilate said to them, you take him and crucify him. I find no fault into him for the third time. What should have been pity turned into hatred. Hatred ruled the day. Hatred ruled the day. The angry mob would not be satisfied with anything less than Jesus' death. Pilate's frustration boils over. He says, take him and crucify him yourself. I find no guilt in him. Why would Pilate say this? Pilate wanted to release him, but why would Pilate say this? Pilate knew that the Jews had no authority to give capital punishment. That authority had to come from Rome. He knew you take him and crucify him. You take him. So now the Jews are are now aware of their chumped up charges, and they failed miserably. So they said, time to take out the big bag of tricks. Time to take out the big guns. Let's revert to the real charge here blasphemy. Let's revert to the real charge, blasphemy. Verse 7, the Jews answer him, we have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. In other words, what the Jews are saying here, don't worry about the principles of law, even Roman law. Don't worry about we violated them. Don't worry about the fact that we're lying. Forget about jurisprudence and everything that's right. We have reasons, and we want Jesus crucified. After all, he said he was the son of God. How dare he say he was equal to God? So the true reason came out. The true reason comes out. They finally come out with this reason. This is what we want. And Pilate now becomes even more afraid. Pilate really is in a tizzy. This poor guy doesn't know what to do. Look at verse 8. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid. He was afraid. He was even afraid of what was going on. So look at the portrait of Pilate. We had a portrait of Jesus. Now we have a portrait of Pilate, a man of prestige, a man of power. But he had no principles. He vacillates back and forth, not being able to make a decision. He's a man pleaser. He's a weak-willed man, a true politician who wants to make everybody happy. He's a true politician. It's interesting. I read this somewhere. A true coward knows what is right, but does not do it. Wow, let me say that again. A true coward knows what is right, but does not do it. Wow. But that's not the worst of it. The worst thing that Pilate is suffering, he has absolutely no reality of the one true living God. He's a pagan. He has no reality of the one true living God. But inwardly, Something's telling him that this man in front of him is innocent. He disregards all rules of Roman law, the lying religious leaders before him, the crowd screaming for Jesus' death, the truth finally revealed. He is so distracted that he doesn't know what to do. He has all kinds of fears and concerns. He just takes justice, you know, the blind lady with the scales. He just takes her and throws her right out the window. We're going to worry about justice anymore. And instead of making a strong decision, he compromises with the crowd. He fears the Jewish influence and thinking that the man before him, maybe he's something different. Maybe there is something different about this man. It starts to tear Pilate apart. You are Our time with you is coming to an end today on A Sure Hope. On our next edition, Pastor Dave Shank will continue this journey through the book of John. But for now, you can listen to more teachings from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. 
We encourage you to download these messages so that they are available wherever you go. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Just search for A Sure Hope and see the latest editions as soon as they're posted. If you're enjoying these teachings and would like to get more involved with the church behind this ministry, we'd love to meet you at Calvary Chapel Cape May for a time of worship and Bible study. We meet weekly on Sundays at 10 a.m. Give us a call for more information. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. Otherwise, you can visit Assure Hope Radio for times and directions. If you're not able to join us in person, we're streaming our services on Facebook Live. Just look for the link on our website at assurehoperadio.com. Thanks for listening to today's message in the book of John. We pray you continue to be blessed as you study the Word and that you discover how God's doing great things in your life. We look forward to you joining us again as Pastor Dave has more to share from this book that entails where Jesus walked and the amazing wonders he performed while here on earth. He's still doing wonders today too. Come hear about that next time on Assure Hope.